I wanted to finish the uh, series that I started with you a couple of weeks ago. We talked about an identity crisis, and we talked about different brands, if you will, of Christianity or different identities. And I've been probably pretty hard on you a little bit. Hopefully that it's been a good series for you to just kind of do some assessing and evaluating in your own spiritual life and where you're at. But as I walk through these different brands, I began to identify in my own life because it's possible to be a committed Christian, which we're going to talk about this morning, and occasionally dip into some of these other identities. I remember the when I was talking about behavioral Christianity, um, I remember those days when I was pastoring my church back in Phoenix that uh, I became what I would call a lean, mean sermon machine. And, uh, you know, when you have to crank out a sermon every week, it's quite a challenge. And, uh, and what happens sometimes to pastors is that we kind of get into this groove and we just start cranking them out, cranking, oh, this is good stuff, this is good stuff, and it never filters through your own heart. And that becomes behavioral Christianity, right? That's a think-and-do process that many of us get wrapped up into. And so I've been there. I, I understand what it's like some days to be a type of person that can be very busy and really forget all about our heart. And then I was trying to think about the time maybe when in my own life I was a closet Christian. I go way back to years ago when we were farming in Iowa, and I was raising 30,000 turkeys. I don't, don't, we won't go there to this morning. But I remember there was a farmer who uh, I had a burden for, and I knew that he had cancer. And, you know, I, I wanted to step out, and I wanted to share with him how critical it was for him to have a personal relationship with Christ, but I never really got my nerve up. And the day that I got my nerve up to go and really stout, sit down and talk to this man, he passed away. And it was one of those moments in my life where I felt like, you know what? If God is compelling me to really share the gospel with somebody, I just need to be obedient. I've got to stop putting it off or rationalizing it or get, being too busy. I needed to come out of the closet, if you will, and really share. So I know I've experienced that in my own life, too. And then I know that cultural Christianity has grabbed me a few times. I don't know about you, but we all want to be loved. We all want to be popular. We want to be successful, and we kind of get caught up in that success syndrome, and you, you start evaluating your life and who you are by, by what you do rather than really who you are in Christ. And then I thought about the times perhaps that I've compromised, especially with my tongue. I can remember days where uh, having all these secrets told to me, being a pastor, but then sometimes I would share those secrets, and, and it would be a compromise in my own life, and I have to go back to the Lord and confess that I, you know, I wasn't in control of my tongue. But what I'm trying to say to you this morning is, is that I know each one of you, as you've been through the last couple of messages probably could identify in some of these areas. And what I'm concerned about, though, is that if we kind of live there, if that's really where our heart is, that's, that's what there's a consistency in one of these areas of identity as a Christian, and that's where we really need to be careful. But I think it's really possible to be a committed Christian and experience all of those brands once in a while in our life. But it's how we deal with those is really, really important. So this morning, I want to contrast a nominal Christian with you to a committed Christian. Now, let me just kind of give you a clear perspective of what a nominal Christian is. When you think about nominal, it just means in name only. There are all kinds of people in America today who would call themselves a Christian. Uh, they maybe have been baptized as a baby. Uh, they, they maybe go to church occasionally. They maybe read their Bibles once in a while. But there's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about a nominal Christian this morning, we're talking about somebody who doesn't really know Jesus, who doesn't have that personal relationship. And there may be somebody here sitting this morning that that's where you're at. 
you're a nominal Christian. You may call yourself a Christian, but you've never had that, that personal and, and powerful encounter with Lord Jesus in your life. And consequently, you've been maybe a religious person, but you've never really received Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. So what I want to do this morning is I want to do the best I can to kind of give you an overview of what I think a committed Christian really looks like. Now, I'm not going to get through all the the ramifications because we've got an entire Bible that's probably descriptive of what a committed believer looks like. But I'm going to try to give you five basic principles that I hope will help solidify in your own mind where you're at in terms of your own spiritual journey. So the number one is this, ownership. Ownership is such a critical component to becoming a committed Christian. What do I mean by that? Well, in Romans chapter 14, verse 5, Romans chapter 14, verse 5, there was a, a dispute in the church at Rome over what kind of meat they could eat, what kind of days they could celebrate particular holidays and, and rituals. And so there was a lot of disagreement. And so there's a principle here that Paul kind of expressed to the church at Rome. And he said, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in whose mind? In his own mind. In in the NASB, the New American Standard Version, it says in verse 22, it says, the faith you have, have as your own conviction. So this is the first principle that I want to share with you this morning, and that's this. Every committed Christian must be fully convinced in his own mind. I remember when I was at at Trinity College, I I went to the Trinity College in Deerfield, Illinois, and my freshman year was a really difficult year for me. It was the first year out of my house. I had been raised in a Christian home. Um, I I had put a lot of Christian friends on pedestals. And I remember a particular moment when two of my very best friends, who I almost worshipped or idolized and wanted to pattern my spiritual life after, which was a very foolish thing to do, by the way. And they had totally disappointed me. They totally rocked my world. And at age 19, I I, I just felt like there was something missing in my life. Even though I remember at eight years old, I remember going forward at a camp and, and accepting Jesus into my life. But I really discovered at that point in my life that I had been living everybody else's Christianity except my own. I was living my parents' Christianity. I was living my friends' Christianity. I was living people who I'd put on pedestals. I was living their Christianity, but I never took ownership of it myself. So I remember one day when I was totally disillusioned, I I went back behind this big mansion that was the admin building at Trinity on the campus, and I went back into the woods, and I started yelling at God. And I said, God, if you're there, if you're really there, and then I thought for a minute, if he's not there, I sound like a real idiot. And so I began to wrestle with this. And I said, God, if you're real, I, I need to know. I need to, I need to have my own identity. I need to know you personally. I need, it's got to be you and me, God. It can't be me and everybody else. It can't be me and my parents. It's got to be me and you. And that moment, God reached around me, and he literally put his arms around me, and I felt the, the embrace of his love in my life, and the tears began to swell in my life. And I got up from that point, and I was a changed human being. It was that moment because I took ownership of my own spirituality. I've had conversations with so many people over the years, especially people who have accepted Jesus maybe when they were four or five or six years old or when they were a child. And and, and it's been sort of this this sort of uh, cruising along by osmosis, by adopting everybody's religion and personality and and spirituality. And and all of a sudden, when there's real trials and there's stuff that's really staring them in the face, they, they begin to wonder, well, do I really have a faith? Do I really know Jesus? And so this morning, I think the most important principle that I can share with you is that personal means personal. When we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's got to be between you and God. 
And maybe there's some of you this morning that are still operating on the shirt tails of everybody else's belief system, and you've never really gotten alone with God and had that come to Jesus moment. So ownership is really an important process because until you own it, it'll never become a reality in your own life. But secondly, I believe there's a a second piece here that I think is absolutely critical, and that's the matter of grace. See, committed Christians must fully embrace the concept of God's grace. Principle number two, a committed Christian must fully embrace the concept of God's grace. No rhyme and pun pun intended. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2.8, we can quote that, many of us, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. Well, what does that look like? Somebody challenged me the other day and said, said, how did you, in your life, become all in? In fact, my granddaughter asked me that the other day. She said, Grandpa, how, how did you just kind of go all in for Christ? And so I tried to explain it to her a little bit. But, but when I really sat down in my life over the period of the last 40 or 50 years and pondered this thought that the only reason I can go to heaven when I die is because of the price Jesus paid on the cross for my sin, it, when that grips, that truth, that theological reality gets to it very my gut, it really has an impact on my life, and all of a sudden grace comes alive, and I realize the richness of God's grace and my, my point is this, is that for people who are not committed, I really don't think they understand the price that Christ paid on the cross for our sin. And, and, and I shared with my granddaughter here just yesterday, I said, you know what? It was your sin and my sin that put Jesus on the cross, and he did that for me. And until I, I tell it kind of that aha moment takes place in our life, we just take grace for granted. See, I must fully understand the immensity of the price that was paid. Do you do that? Do, do you understand that? Do we understand that? You know, we, we celebrate communion once a month, and, and that's really an opportunity for us to, to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. And it was all about an unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. Do we get it? Do we really get it? See, I think committed Christians kind of get it. And, and it's a whole lifelong process of, of fully comprehending that. And sometimes the reason why we don't get it is because a lot of us just don't really recognize that we're really a sinful person, number one. We don't, we don't, we don't really believe that we're all that bad, and so the price that was paid was, was kind of cheap, frankly. I mean, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. It wasn't that big a deal. No. God's grace... But there's, what's really powerful about God's grace is that there's a saving grace, that this, this, this unmerited favor where we come to Christ and we, we humble ourselves and we say to the Lord Jesus, you know, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know that, that you died on the cross for my sin. And I know if maybe I was the only one at the foot of the cross, you would have died just for me. And so therefore, I accept you into my life and you have to, I want you to change my life so that I can go to heaven. I want to receive that gift of grace in my life. Well, that's saving grace. But you know, there's also this matter of sanctifying grace. And day in and day out, we experience God's grace by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As he reveals things to us, he lets us realize that, nope, yep, I've I've compromised here. I've been behavioral here. And so I understand that. And a part of God's grace is that he he, he, uh, gives us that that intense uh, factor in our lives to where we come back to the Lord and we say, you know what? It's because of your grace that, that I can go ahead and, and I screw up 
but I know that you're going to forgive me if I really repent and turn my life to you. So there's this, this matter of sanctifying grace, but then there's this sustaining grace where Paul says in 2 Corinthians where he says, you know, power is perfected in my weakness. That, that's his grace. He says his grace is sufficient for you. And how many of you experience God's grace in your life, uh, the sustaining, sanctifying, uh, saving grace that's gone on in your life day in and day out? See, grace doesn't stop at the point of salvation. And unless we really understand that and realize that God's grace is sufficient all through our life, we're never really going to be committed. Does that make sense? God's grace. Here's principle number three. I think a committed Christian is a matter of the heart's desire. You see, God said in his word, he said, man looks at the outer appearance, God looks at the what? The heart. The heart. David was a man after God's own heart. Did David compromise? Certainly did. Did David get caught up in what I would consider cultural Christianity? Oh, absolutely. But there was something about David and his heart, his greatest desire in his life, was to know and to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have a tendency to go back to behavioral Christianity and love God with our performance or our deeds. But God wants our heart. God wants our heart. I really want to echo what Solomon said in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61. Here's what he says. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands at this time. See, Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, realized that if he was the people of Israel were going to be really obedient, it was a matter of the heart. So what, what are those things in our heart that really need to manifest itself in terms of to be a, a committed Christian? Well, number one, my, my greatest heart's desire is to be more like Jesus. Is that your greatest desire, bottom line? Even though you stumble and fall and mess up and, and compromise now and then, is it, it, can you really look at your heart and say, you know what, my heart's greatest desire, Lord, every day I want to be more like you. See, a committed Christian has this heart response to the Lord from day to day. See, my heart's desire is to, is to do whatever, wherever, go and do whatever God wants me to do. I remember even when I was 12 years old, I was sitting in the balcony at my church, and we were doing typically what 12-year-olds do in the balcony of a church. We were making paper airplanes, eating pumpkin seeds, and, you know, all those kinds of things were going on. But I remember a missionary guy who was speaking that day, and for the strangest reason, at the end of that service, even though I didn't hear a word he said, I heard this. And he said, if you are a young person here this morning, and your heart's desire is to do whatever God wants you to do. And if that means full-time Christian ministry, I want you to stand up and I want you to walk forward. I don't know what happened to me, but I stood up and I went forward. And look what I am today. Doggone it, God really took me up in that deal. But, but my heart's desire has been all along that, God, whatever you have for me in my life, I just want to be used by you. That's my motivation. Heart's desire is to know God more every single day. That's my, that's my desire. See, that's the very gut level of where we need to be. And yeah, we're still going to mess up and still we're going to compromise, but the Lord knows our hearts. Isn't that great? I mean, can't, can't you? I'm not talking about the end justifying the means. What I am saying is, is that if our hearts are pure, if we're really wanting to serve God, if we really love him, then yeah, we're going to mess up now and then. 
But the reality is, is that God is there and he knows our hearts. And that's where commitment really is. That's where life change takes place. That's where transformation takes place. It's all about our hearts. So where's your heart this morning? Is that your desire? Almost every day I ask the Lord. I say, Lord, I give you my heart. I want to be used by you today. That's what God's looking for in a committed believer. He wants your heart. Here's principle number four. A committed Christian comprehends the matter of repentance. This is important. Here's the point. See, I think a committed Christian understands repentance for this reason. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and what? Leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What's Paul saying? I mean, we learned last week that the church at Corinth was a pretty messed up place. But there was repentance there. There was a godly sorrow there, especially over that person that they had disciplined in the church who was committing incest. And if you remember, Paul was writing to them in this regard, and he was just saying, look, you know, I, I appreciate this, but this, apparently this person really demonstrated a true repentance. But with that true repentance, there's something that's, that's a piece that we often don't get when it comes to the matter of repentance, and it's the godly sorrow piece. You see, repentance we know biblically and theologically, it's a turning from to a turning to. It's a change of direction. But before there can be a change of direction, there's got to be godly sorrow. There's got to be a brokenness. There's got to be a a humility that takes place. It's got to be a, a, a taking of sin seriously. And oftentimes we don't do that. We should take our sin more seriously. When, when things happen and God really points it out in our life, sometimes we just kind of brush it off and say, you know, I'm sorry, God. You know, I'll try to do better. And then we do the same thing over and over and over again, and we say to God, you know, I'm sorry, God. I'll try to do better. And we consider that repentance. I don't think that's repentance. What real repentance is, is there's this, this brokenness I'm reminded of of David in Psalm 51 when he finally came to grips with his sin with Bathsheba. And David says, against you only I have sinned. Sometimes we, 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 we have a tendency to take our sin more lightly because it's an offense to another brother or another person or another human being. And when we have an offense with maybe another human being or another person, oftentimes what happens in our lives is that we sort of minimize it because we know that they're human too and they make mistakes. And so, you know, it's just a matter of making a mistake. But we don't realize oftentimes that when we do sin against another brother, we're sinning against who? We're sinning against God. And so we minimize it because we do it horizontally, but then we realize that like David did, he said, wait a minute, Lord. This isn't about just Uriah. This isn't about Bathsheba. This isn't about the people of Israel. I have sinned against you, and you are the person I need to deal with. And oftentimes we don't take that sin to God in that, in that light because we don't take our sin as seriously as we need to. There's got to be a brokenness. In Psalm 51, at the close of that particular passage where David is expressing his heart to God and his brokenness about his lust and his murder, he says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit. Oh, God, you will not despise. What's David saying? 
See, I think a committed Christian understands the gravity of their sin. And when sin is confronted in their own life, there's a true brokenness. There's a true brokenness. And I just wonder how many Christians along the journey have, have just had this casual, you know, I'm sorry, God, I'll try to do better attitude when in reality we've never truly been broken. And then we wonder why there's no change. When we wonder why there's no difference. So repentance is a critical component, I think, to being a committed Christian. When's the last time you were really confronted with your own sin and how did you deal with it? Because your heart was so important, your heart was so, desire was so much to please the Lord and you knew you blew it. Was there a real brokenness? Was there, was there real godly sorrow as a part of that particular process or transaction of forgiveness? Sometimes I wonder if we take it way too lightly. So I think a committed Christian really understands the message and the matter of repentance. Sometimes I wonder when we present salvation to people, we often say, you know, all you need to do is accept Christ into your life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's a great scripture, absolutely. But sometimes I wonder if we leave out the real matter of repentance where there's a broken, contrite spirit, and you wonder if there's been really life change until that brokenness is really there because that's the sacrifice that God's looking for. He's looking for our brokenness, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Here's principle number five for a committed Christian. A committed Christian is a fruit bearer. A committed Christian is a fruit bearer. And I see in Scripture two kinds of fruit. There are character fruit and there are kingdom fruit. And what I mean by character fruit, we can go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's character fruit. And I guess the question is, if a person is really a committed Christian then they give up control of their life to the Lord. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit has free reign in our lives to produce this character fruit. So the question we have to wrestle with then in our own lives is, is that fruit being manifested in my life? Because if I'm a committed Christian, God's going to be working on my love, my kindness, and my patience, and my self-control. Those things are going to be changing periodically in my life, and I'm going to be growing more like Christ. Is that a reality in our lives? We talk about fruit inspecting. But that's a reality in our lives. Uh, people are going to know us by our fruit, and, and, and that fruit oftentimes is the character fruit that's manifested in our lives. What kind of fruit is, is going on in your life? What, what's changing? If you were to talk to your family or your spouse or your close friends or people around you, say, am I becoming a more patient person? Have I become more kind? Is there more self-control in my life? You know, because I really feel like God is working in my life, and this is an area I need to work on. And if God is manifesting that, you can say, yeah, now that's that person is committed because God is, is manifesting that character fruit. And see, committed Christians, when it comes to the own character, our character fruit, they're, they're really not afraid to be held accountable. I mean, why don't you, if, if I dare you, why don't you ask your wife or your husband or people who are close to you, say, you know, I, I've typically had a problem in my life maybe with some anger or unforgiveness and those kinds of things. Can you see a difference in me? 
You see, a committed Christian is not afraid to do that. They're not afraid to make themselves vulnerable and, and not, not afraid to, to have somebody be able to exhort them and encourage them and speak the truth to them in love. So that's character fruit. And then there's kingdom fruit. In John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, some of you might be familiar with that passage. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he said, I am the vine, and my, and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will even be more fruitful. Verse 4b, it says, no branch can bear fruit unless you remain in me. People will recognize us by the fruit we bear. And what I mean by kingdom fruit, I'm talking about the influence we have in other people's lives that impact the kingdom of God. It might be our love because Scripture says they'll know what? We are Christians by what? Our love for one another. So as we're loving one another, we're having an impact on the, the church, but we're also having an impact for people who are watching to realize that perhaps maybe there's something here that I need in my life, and that's kingdom fruit. That's producing fruit out there. As a committed Christian demonstrates agape love, unconditional love, People respond to that. People see that. I mean, also, I think a committed Christian needs to be able to understand what their spiritual gifts and abilities are and somehow make a contribution to the building up of the body of Christ. That's kingdom fruit. And so we talk about the fact that if a person's really committed, they're going to really understand what their gifts are, and they're really going to try to be really committed to, to making an impact or to be an encouragement or to be a part of the church to build up the body of Christ. That's kingdom fruit. Obviously, a committed Christian will show evidence of obedience to whatever God is really saying to them in their lives. So, so it's really important for us to realize that if we're not fruit-bearing, there may be something really wrong. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we can be judgmental of one another and say, well, you know, they say they're a Christian, but I've never seen any fruit in their lives. I've never seen any fruit of that decision. And only God knows their heart, but there is some evidence sometimes for us to be able to discern and say, you know what, if there's virtually no character fruit and there's no kingdom fruit, are they really attached to the vine or aren't they? Maybe they're just a nominal Christian. Well, let me just kind of conclude here. And I, and I know that there's probably a hundred more things we could talk about in the area of commitment, but I felt like these five things were really what God had revealed to me that I think really manifest itself. And you notice I never talked about a committed Christian is always in the Word every day, and if you don't spend 15 minutes in the Word every day, you're not a committed Christian. You know, I, I didn't say that if you're not tithing, you're not a committed Christian. And, and all of those are really maybe evidences of perhaps being a committed Christian, but it doesn't necessarily reflect a person's heart because it's a heart problem. So let me ask you some questions. Maybe you've been a nominal Christian. Maybe you're one of those people that maybe accepted Jesus as a five-year-old or a six-year-old, and you've been just kind of on cruise control. And you've never really had a moment in your life where you've said, you know, Jesus, it's you and me. I, I, I feel like that I've just kind of coasted along here, and I've never really been fully committed to you. And I've never really 
personalize this thing called Christianity in my life, really that I can, can point a finger to. And this morning, this morning it's coming clear to me that this is what I need to do. And maybe you're that person this morning. And perhaps you've been evaluating a little bit as I've walked through these five principles and you've looked at your life and you say, you know, Pastor Tom, there, there are some things here that I'm really needing to work on. And I've, I've been neglectful. I, I've, been, I've been drifting. I, I've been uh, backsliding. I, I just, I really haven't been full all in, if you will. And this morning, perhaps what God's trying to say to you this morning, you know what, do you really understand the matter of repentance? Because if you haven't been all in and you've been playing games and you've been compromising and you've been a cultural Christian for a long period of time, maybe it's time for you to really comprehend what real repentance is about. And maybe today's the day that you need to be broken before God. You say, you know what, God, I, I realize that this is sin. I got to call a spade a spade. This is what it is in my life. I realize this and that the burden of this is killing me right now. And by your grace, knowing how your grace works, I so am so sorry that I've trumped on your grace, that I've cheapened your grace, and I want to be forgiven and I want to make a change in my life. And that could be you this morning. I'm going to pray because I'm done. I want you to know I love you all, folks. And this has been a hard series for me to share. It's not an easy thing. The whole series has been an identity crisis. And I really do believe there's an identity crisis in the church today. But I pray and hope that God has stimulated your heart over the last three weeks so that Cornerstone Church reflects what I believe God wants the church to be, and that is committed believers who have the heart's desire to serve God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. That's what God wants. That's when this church is going to make a difference in this community. But it has to start with you and your heart. It's got to start where you're at. And so this morning... I wasn't necessarily planning on this, so I hope Jamie's prepared for this. If God's spoken to you this morning about any of these things, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little famous here for an altar call, and I, I, I don't want to make it rote or, or trite, but if, if God's spoken to you this morning about one of these areas, would you do business with God here? Would you take a moment and just quietly contemplate before the God before God this morning. And I, I just would like it just to be perfectly quiet here for just a few seconds. And for you to, I'm not going to say another word, but, but if you would just be willing to say to the Lord this morning, Lord, what is it you're trying to tell me this morning? What is it you want me to do? Where am I at? And if God has spoken to you this morning and you feel like you want to do some business with God, come right down in the front here and let him set you free. Please do that. It's not about me. It's about your relationship to your God, your personality, you and the Lord. Amen? Father, let me... Lord, I, I don't know what's going on in the hearts and minds of folks this morning. But I know you put this message on my heart in a very short period of time. And I really do believe that it was your Holy Spirit that inspired that. And so, Lord... I don't know what's going on again, but you do. And for some folks here this morning, I honestly believe 
but you're putting your hand out and saying, do you get it? I love you so much. I died on the cross for you. If that's you this morning and God is speaking to you, don't put it off. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of getting it right. If that's your desire this morning, just get out of your seat and do that while we sing this last song. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.